0: You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. We're going to read verses 2 and 3. Sorry, three and four. Then we're going to skip down and read verses nineteen through twenty-four, Philippians chapter two. Verse three: Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interests of others. Verse five: Have this mind in in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then skip down to verse nineteen. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Let's bow together in prayer before we begin. Our Father, we have sung to you our praise, our worship, and our adoration, the sentiments of our heart, and we have adored you this morning. But now we humble and we quiet ourselves before your word. Your word says that you will look upon the one who trembles before your word, and we pray that you would give to us that fear, that fear and trembling that understands that we are now embarking on something special as we look at your word because it is in this book that You speak to us. And so we pray that our the eyes of our spiritual understanding may be opened, that our ears may be opened, that we may hear Your voice in Your Word today, for that is the only sure place where we know we can hear You speak to us. And so we bow before You, and we ask that You would be here to teach us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us understand the power of a role model, and you probably have seen this in your children and in your grandchildren, the propensity or the tendency that every person has to mimic somebody or something else, to imitate someone or something else. And one of the joys of being a parent is to see my kids grow up, and while they're really young, before they know any better, they try and imitate you. And sometimes as a parent, that can be a bit humbling. As you see a mirror of yourself, and they say and, think, say and do things, and you say, ha oh, where did you learn that? And you realize, ha oh, it was yesterday. From me, they learned that. Other times, it can really warm your hearts, um, we have a couple of ramps that I drive my van up onto in order to change the oil, and uh, Shepley, one time, when he was really small, drove his little tricycle up onto the ramp, and then grabbed some of my tools and started to change the oil, in his trike, and things like that as a parent warm your heart, and then as you're... Children grow up and get older, they continue that tendency to mimic and imitate things and people that mean a lot to them. Maybe a sports celebrity or a, a cartoon character or their friends or uh, some sort of a celebrity or star or an a older brother. I have a cousin that lives down in California and she emailed me this last week and she said, I need information on homeschooling. And I asked her why and she said, because I've, my daughter is coming home from school and she must be the only white girl in her whole class. And not only that, but she's probably the only girl in her whole class that has, has, comes from a Christian home. And my cousin wanted information on homeschooling so she could pull her kid out of that school. She says she's coming home and she's mimicking all of the other students in the class and she's sassing me and learning all of these horrible things at school. Children and people have a tendency to mimic, to imitate. Um, you ever mimicked a superhero when you were a kid? Come on, I'm not the only one. I know you did. Some of you find people that you really like and you respect and you imitate and you mimic superheroes. You want to be like people that you respect. The Lord understands that we are geared to mimic and to imitate. And the Lord has accommodated that in Scripture by giving us good examples of men whose faith we are told to imitate and to follow after. Let me give you a couple examples from the New Testament, from the Scriptures, of places where God tells us to imitate people and to to mimic them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says to the Thessalonians, You also became imitators of us. And that was a compliment, by the way. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 2, 10-14, You were witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ. 2 Thessalonians 3, 7, You yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. Second Thessalonians 3, 9, not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you would follow our example. And then Paul actually told Timothy to be the type of man that others would be willing and able to imitate and follow as an example. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 12, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech and in conduct and in love and in faith, show yourself an example of those who believe. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says, I exhort you, be imitators of me. And again to the Corinthians, who, by the way, desperately needed a good role model. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. And Paul wasn't the only one. There are other writers of the New Testament. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And then Peter writes to his readers, and he says that elders are to serve among the flock, proving to be examples to the flock. Friends, you and I can have good examples or bad examples, good role models or bad role models. We can imitate good men or we can imitate bad men. And Scripture gives us examples from bad men that we might learn from their examples and not follow after them and not repeat their mistakes. And Scripture gives us examples of good men and tells us that we ought to follow after them and imitate them and follow their example. So the Lord knows that we have the ability and the propensity and the tendency as human beings to imitate people. There's nothing wrong with imitating somebody or following somebody's example or trying to be just like somebody else. The question is, whom or what are you imitating? Is it good or is it bad? You say, what does all of this imitating and role model and examples and all of that have to do with Philippians chapter 2? Where Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but in lowliness of mind esteem others is more important than yourselves. Don't look out just for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Then Paul goes on to give us four examples of that type of mind which was in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself being the first example of that. That's a man whose, whose conduct and whose behavior and whose attitude is worthy of our example, worthy of our imitation. Then Paul gives us a second one himself in verses 17 and 18. And we looked at that last week. He says, I'm willing to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I'm willing to be made nothing just so that you could, what you offer to God might be pleasing. That was the looking out for their interests ahead of his own. Then there are two more examples that Paul gives us in Philippians chapter 2 before we get to the end of the chapter. The first is this, well, this third, two more examples. The first of the two, the third of the four is Timothy in verses 19 through 24. And then the fourth and final example is Epaphroditus later on in the chapter. Today we're going to be looking at Timothy. But here's something interesting about the verses that I just read to you, 19 through 24. If you look at verse 19 and look at it in your Bibles, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now the information about Timothy contained in verses 20 to 22 is sandwiched between these two passages, verse 19 at the front, and verse 23 and 24 at the back, sandwiched between these two passages that have to do with Paul's traveling plans, his plan to send Timothy, his own plan to visit them. And in the middle of all of that, he talks about Timothy. Now we're going to come back to Timothy, but verses 19 and 23 and 24 give us sort of a backstory, a little bit of information and background, and we're going to look at that first, and then we're going to come back to these three characteristics that I want you to note about Timothy, where Timothy evidenced. This mind of Christ that looks out for the interests of others and not just themselves. So let's look at verse 19. We're going to look at some of the backstory. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus. That's another way of saying if the Lord wills. The term hope and usually in Scripture means a confidence or a confident expectation. Oftentimes Paul will use it in reference to his travel plans. I hope to come to you. I hope to do this. Things that he was planning to do. But he didn't know if that was the Lord's will for him to do that or not. He didn't have any kind of red bat phone connection to the Lord where the Lord whispered in his ear, here's where you're going next and here's what you're doing. And although the Apostle Paul did at times get special divine guidance, we saw this in the book of Acts, they were in extraordinary situations. But for the most part, listen, the apostles made decisions just like you and I have to make decisions. We look at the situation. We look at our circumstances. We apply biblical principles. Apply biblical wisdom to the situation. Make a decision and commit it to the Lord, trusting that if it's His will, it will come to pass. And if it comes to pass, it was His will. And we look at it that way. And that's what Paul is saying. If this is the Lord's will, here are my, here are my intentions. But Paul knows, which is why he says, I hope in the Lord, Paul knows that all of his plans are subject to divine approval. In other words, I may plan this to the Philippians, but if the Lord does not will this, if the Lord Jesus does not want to bring this to pass, then this isn't going to happen. But he says to the Philippians, here's what I'm planning on doing. I'm planning on sending Timothy to you very shortly. So that was his desire. His desire was to send Timothy. And Paul tells us the reason why he was sending Timothy. Look at the last half of verse 19. So that I may also be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Now Paul was going to stay in Rome and he was going to send Timothy to him. Now, you saw at the end of the book of Acts, and see if you remember this if you were here for Acts. When Paul left Caesarea and he traveled to Rome on board the ship, you remember the train wreck, or well, nearly a shipwreck, that was. That's a better way of describing it. You remember the shipwreck that that was, the disaster that that voyage was? Who was with Paul on the journey from Caesarea to Rome? There were two men. Do you remember who they were? Dr. Luke was one of them, and Aristarchus was the second. Now, by the time Paul writes Philippians, two years after he's arrived in the city of Rome, he's under house arrest for two years. Philippians is written toward the end of that two-year time period. Now, all of a sudden, Paul has other men with him, like Timothy. Now, it may be that Timothy went ahead of Paul to Rome. It may be that Timothy came later on. But by the time Paul writes Philippians, Timothy is with him in Rome. So he's with Paul there. He's serving with Paul there. The letters that Paul writes from the city of Rome... Mention Timothy like the book of Colossians and Philemon for instance mentioned Timothy so Timothy is there with Paul in Rome although he didn't travel with him from Caesarea and Paul's intention is that he would send Timothy to Philippi because Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to him we're going to see this in chapter 4 Epaphroditus had come with a gift to Paul and Paul's writing Philippians which is a thank you letter thank you for your gift we're going to get to that in chapter 4 Paul's a very long-winded guy almost as long-winded as I am so it takes him all the way till chapter 4 before he finally says look Thanks for the gift that you sent at the hand of Epaphroditus. And as he's sending back this letter, he's going to send it back, I think, through Epaphroditus. You'll see that next week. But in the meantime, he's going to send Timothy there because he wants to encourage the Philippians. And Timothy would be able to go to the Philippian church and say to them, here's how things are going with Paul. Here's what's happening with the trial. Here's what's happening with the accusations. Here's he's going to be released or he's going to be executed or whatever it is that's going to happen. They would be able to update, Timothy would be able to update the Philippians about how Paul was doing. But Paul also expected that in the meantime, Timothy would have a chance to come back from Philippi to Rome and report to Paul how the Philippians were doing. Timothy would be able to report back and say, hey, they received your letter that you sent them very well. And Yodia and Syntyche are finally getting along. They're living a life that is worthy of the calling with which they have been called. They're conducting themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. The issues of division and disunity within the church have been dealt with. Things are going well, they're encouraged, they're handling suffering well, they see it as a gift, they're encouraged by you, and and Timothy would be able to report back to them. He wanted to be encouraged. Now look down at verse 23 and 24. We're going to skip over 20 to 22 for now. We're going to come back to it in a second. Look at verse 23. Paul says, therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. That's kind of an enigmatic phrase, and I wish I knew what Paul meant by that. We don't know for sure what he means. As soon as I see how things go with me, I'm going to send Timothy. In other words, I'm sending Timothy, but not right now. It's going to take a bit. But he doesn't want them to be discouraged and he wants them to know, I need Timothy to stay here until whatever it is that was going on with Paul got worked out, got dealt with, and then he would send Timothy. Now it's an enigmatic phrase and nobody really knows what was going on with Paul. We can apply a little bit of sanctified imagination and guessing to the situation and come up with one of two possibilities. It's possible that Paul was referring to his imprisonment and the charges against him and the trial that he had with Nero. It, that might be what Paul's referring to. As soon as I see how things are going with my trial, my imprisonment, it's, this is toward the end of those two years. It's very possible that a court date had been scheduled. Paul knew when he was going to stand before Nero. It may even be that Timothy would be a witness in the case against Paul and that Paul needed Timothy to stay there to bear testimony on his behalf before Nero. Nero. So Paul might be saying, as soon as this all gets resolved with me, I'm going to send Timothy to you. There's a second possibility. It may be that Paul needed Timothy not for legal concerns, but for pastoral concerns. There may have been an issue, and I think this suggestion has a lot of validity, there may have been an issue in the church in Rome that Paul was dealing with, and he needed Timothy there. You remember back in chapter 1, Paul makes reference to the fact that there were Christians in the city of Rome who were preaching Christ just to do Him harm. Just to spite Him. Do you remember that? There are Christians who are preaching Christ and their motivation is to take a dig at me, Paul says. They're selfishly motivated. Self-aggrandizement was their motive. They're after what they can get out of it. It may be that Paul was dealing with some of those pastoral concerns in the church in Rome and he needed Timothy there to sort of help him work through some of those issues. As soon as I see how it goes with me, I'll send Timothy to you. Look at verse 23 or 24. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Paul didn't want the Philippians to read the, this letter and say, oh, 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 wait, wait, you're sending Timothy. What about you? We want to see you. Well, Paul wants them to know, I'm sending Timothy, but look, my intention is to come shortly myself. Here's something to notice about Philippians. Although Paul never dismissed from his mind the very real possibility that his trial could end in his execution. He mentions that in chapter 1. He's already mentioned it in chapter 2. He never dismisses that as a very real possibility. At the same time, Paul really did not expect that that's the way it was going to turn out. Because also he mentions in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, his plans and intentions to come and visit them. He says, I'm trusting in the Lord. He was expecting that his trial was going to end in his release. Now, from the end of the book of Acts, from what we saw, do you remember what happened? He was released from prison at the end of this, two years in Rome. He did travel for another year and a half, almost two years, before he was arrested again and taken back to Rome and executed during his second imprisonment. So Paul Paul's hopes, his intentions, came to pass. And he did travel and he did go to the city of Philippi and visit the Philippians, just like he had intended. Now, let's that's the backstory. That's the sandwich part of it, right? The bread. Here's my plans. I'm planning on sending Timothy. I want you to know it's not going to be right away. It's going to take a bit because i got some issues that I need to resolve here in Rome and I need Timothy for those things. And when I get all done with that, I'm going to send Timothy and my hopes are that I myself am going to come and I'm going to visit you. Sandwiched in between that are the reasons why Paul was sending Timothy. And this is where we're going to spend our attention this morning. Verses 20, 21, and 22. There are three things that Timothy had that characterized this mind of Christ this selfless selflessness this unselfish attitude that he had that Paul commends him for look at verse 20 we're going to read all three of ver- these verses and I'll give you the three things that characterized Timothy first he had a spirit of genuine concern for others verse 20 i have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare the second thing about Timothy is in verse 21 he sought, or he, he was seeking after the things of Christ. They all seek after their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. And then the third thing that Timothy evidenced was a service in the gospel, verse 24, and I tr- uh, verse 22. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. So let's just look at each one of those three. First of all, a spirit of genuine concern for others that marked Timothy. Paul says, I have no one else who is of kindred spirit with me. The word kindred spirit is kind of a wonderful word there. Iso-sukos is the word. Iso meaning equal as in isometer. Let's try another one. Isometric, isosceles, equal, and then sukos is the word for soul. Paul says, Timothy, I have no one else who is equal-souled with me. That's the word kindred spirit. It's only used once in all the New Testament. And it's used here of Timothy by Paul. Now, that's quite a compliment, is it not? For the Apostle Paul to be able to look at another human being and say, this guy is equal-souled with me. We have a kindred spirit. Paul doesn't say that about anybody else in the New Testament. Now, there may have been other people that he felt that about, but nowhere else in the New Testament is that word used. It's translated kindred spirit. It actually means an equal soul. Now, we know a lot about Timothy. Have you ever paused for a moment to think about how much we know about the person Timothy? Paul knew a lot of people, didn't he? Priscilla, Titus, Aristarchus, Gaius, Sosthenes, Silas, Barnabas, and the list goes on. You can think of just some of the prominent ones. Of all the people that Paul knew, we know more about Timothy than we do any other character that came into the life of the Apostle Paul. In fact, I, I'm tempted to say that other than Paul and Jesus, we know more about Timothy than we do about anybody else. We know more about Timothy than we do about Mary and Joseph. We know more about Timothy than we do Peter. What do we know about Timothy? He grew up in Lystra. He was led to the Lord by Paul. We know his mother's name. We know his grandfather, uh, his grandmother's name. We know that his mother and his grandmother were believers, that his dad was likely a Greek and an unbeliever. We know that Timothy wasn't circumcised until later in life, around the age of 14 and 15, when Paul showed up. We know that he was a commendable man. Paul calls him my fellow servant. Paul calls him my beloved brother in the Lord. We know that Timothy was a very strong individual, a very trustworthy individual. We know that his parents were willing to send Timothy off with the Apostle Paul when he was probably 13, 14, or 15 years old to serve with Paul. Think about that for a second. Here was a young man who on Paul's first missionary journey, when Paul showed up, he led this family to faith in Christ. Then he went out and they stoned him, drug him outside the city, left him for dead. They pulled him back inside the city, bandaged him up, and sent him off the next day. And then on his second missionary journey, when he shows back up in that city, Timothy's mom says, hey, take my son with you. Do you not remember what happened to Paul last time he was in your city? He was stoned and left for dead. And yet, the book of Acts, chapter 14 and 13, says Timothy was well respected by all in the church in that city. It was just a young teenage man. And Timothy's mom said, we trust him. We trust Paul. And we'll send him off with Paul. Now I ask you this question. If you had a teenage boy and the Apostle Paul showed up and said, I'd like to take him into the deep, dark reaches of paganism and preach the gospel with him. I know I got stoned last time I was here and I can't guarantee that that's not going to happen to me again on the very next city that I visit. Would you let your son go with me? What would you say? Would you send your boy off with him? I'd say, you're not going to take just one of my kids. It's a four for one deal. You take all of them or you get none of them, boy. No, Timothy was a trustworthy man. We know a tremendous amount about Timothy. We know that Paul trusted Timothy. When he when was run out of Berea, he left Timothy in Berea to handle the situation there. And then Timothy joined him later. He was Paul's emissary to the church in Corinth. Paul sent him into difficult situations. At the end of Paul's life, after he was released from the city of Rome at the end of the book of Acts, and after Philippians, he traveled to the city of Ephesus. He found that in the city of Ephesus, the church there was a disaster that false teachers had crept in and started to teach strange doctrines. And whom did Paul leave there to sort it all out? Timothy. He left Timothy there. And he went on, and then he wrote the letter to Timothy, First Timothy. And he said, here's what I want you to do, and here's how you're to handle it, and here's what the church is all about. Timothy was an incredibly trustworthy individual. We know a tremendous amount about him. And one of the things we know about him is that he had a spirit of genuine concern for other people. Paul says in verse 20, I have no one else of kindred spirit. I have no one else who's equal-souled with me. I have no one else of whom I can honestly say our souls are a mirror image of each other. Timothy was his right-hand man. They had the same theology, the same philosophy of ministry, the same approach to situations. Paul could send Timothy off to do something, and Paul knew he's going to handle it just like I would handle it. He's going to think about this just the way I would think about this. I can trust Him to do that because we are so closely aligned to each other that it's like having another me there. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, I can tell you from personal experience that having the ability to serve in the gospel with men who are of kindred spirit with you is the most invaluable, priceless thing that you can possibly imagine. I have that here, and I could say that honestly with the other pastors elders of this church, Dave and Jess, and I think they would agree with me, we have a kindred spirit. In fact, the very first time that I sat down and I talked with Jess, after he had been attending here for about a month, he called me up and he asked if he could come and sit down in my office and talk with me. So he did. We spent about two, two and a half hours just talking about everything you can possibly imagine, all the details, philosophy, theology, everything you can possibly imagine. And we got to the end of it all, and he said, you know, I sense that we have a real kindred spirit. And that's true, and I found it to be true over the course of time. The best friendships that I have ever forged, I have forged with men and women, serving alongside of them, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The kindred spirit. Some people think that's a horrible thing. I've actually heard people say to me, not necessarily criticizing, but say, all you elders think alike. So? Yeah, we do. Is that a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing. We don't think alike. Dave's a Raiders fan. I'm no Raiders fan. We don't think alike on everything, but issues of truth, we do think alike. And I can honestly say to you, serving with men who are of kindred spirit is one of the most valuable, priceless things I have ever experienced in my life, because I know that no matter what happens, you can go to any one of the three of us, and you will get the same response, the same treatment, the same thing. You're not going to go and say, well, he thinks this, and he thinks that, and he's doing this, and they're all different. That's not the way it is. That's the what you got with Timothy and Paul. You went to Timothy, you went to Paul. didn't matter. I saw same soul, same soul, kindred spirit. It's a valuable thing. It's an incredibly valuable thing. And they're not the only ones that I have a kindred spirit with. There's other men, there's other friends. I have deep friendships with men. You probably have friendships like that where you have a kindred spirit. You just know that just equal soul. This is a person that's like uh, the same cookie cutter that I am that was the type of person that Timothy was with Paul and this is one of the greatest compliments that Paul could have paid Timothy and Paul says I have no one else who is of kindred spirit with me and then look what he says he will genuinely be concerned for your welfare Paul says I have nobody else with me who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare the word "concerned" there could be used positively or negatively Sometimes it was used in the New Testament to speak of somebody being worried about financial problems or health problems or poverty or hunger or things like that. As in, don't be concerned and don't be worried. It was used in that negative sense. But Paul uses it here in a positive sense to speak of somebody's, not anxiety and not worry, but honest concern for another human being and an individual. Paul knew, and this is what made Timothy and Paul so much alike, Paul knew that he could send Timothy to Philippi and Timothy, just like Paul, would be concerned for their interests and there was nobody else that paul had available to send that's stunning isn't it there was nobody else that paul had available to send to philippi i have one it's timothy i have no one else and that's why paul says i can't get rid of him now as soon as everything gets go- as soon as i find out how everything goes with me then i'll send as soon as i can dispatch or or get rid of timothy and let him go i will but paul needed him why i so kindred spirit i need him here for this what i'm going through whatever he was dealing with He needed Timothy, and he couldn't let go of him. But when he could, he would send Timothy because he knew he was a perfect emissary, a perfect substitute for Paul. His genuine, his spirit of genuine concern for other people. Look at the second characteristic. His seeking after the things of Christ in verse 21. And this actually describes a little bit about Timothy. This sort of explains what's in verse 20. For all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. That's a bit stunning, isn't it? That's kind of a sweeping condemnation, is it not? All of them, some people try and translate and take it in the sense of some of them or many of them. No, Paul says all of them seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. That seems a bit harsh for Paul to say of everybody that was with him. For instance, is Paul there describing Dr. Luke and Aristarchus and Titus and Epaphroditus? Is he describing those men? When he says all, some people have tried to get around this by saying, well, Paul, this is just an emotional hyperbole. He's just overstating the case. And this is how he feels about people. And it's sort of you caught him in a weak moment and he's just sort of slamming everybody who's involved in gospel ministry. It's just an overstatement. I don't think that's the case. Nor do I think that the Apostle Paul here is just simply expressing his loneliness and his feelings of isolation and how he felt in this situation. I don't think that's the case. But nor do I think that the Apostle Paul is condemning everybody who had been involved in gospel ministry with him, who are with him in Rome. Who is Paul describing? Let me give you three observations that will sort of help put this in perspective. Number one, you and I, we do not know who was with Paul when he wrote this. He doesn't send greetings to the church in Philippi from Dr. Luke or from Aristarchus, just from Timothy. So it strikes me that it was probably just Timothy of all of his faithful companions who were with him at the moment when he was writing this. Second, he obviously does not mean to include Epaphroditus because later on in verses 25-30, to he's going to give a glowing report of the character and the integrity and the spirit of Epaphroditus. So he's not describing Epaphroditus. Whom was Paul describing? Paul was describing out of all of the people that were available for him to send to Philippi, only Timothy is one who would be genuinely concerned for the interests of others. That's the key. Who was Paul talking about? He was talking about people who were available for him to send to Philippi. As Paul looked out over the Christian population in Rome, he had Timothy, he had Epaphroditus, but he's excluding Epaphroditus because of what he says about Epaphroditus later on. But he didn't have Dr. Luke, he didn't have Aristarchus, or Paul would have sent greetings from them. Whom did he have? He had Timothy, and he had all of the other Christians in Rome. Many of those Christians, we know, when they preached Christ, they preached Christ simply for the sake of taking a shot at the Apostle Paul. And so of all of the Christians who were with Paul, of all of them that were available to be sent to Philippi, Paul could honestly say, I only have one man who would genuinely be concerned for your interests. And I'll send him as soon as I can. Because Timothy sought after the things of Christ, and do you know how do you notice how seeking after the interest of Christ and being genuinely concerned for the welfare of others is equated in the verses? Do you see that he's genuinely be concerned for your interest because he seeks after the interests of Christ. Listen, friends, you cannot possibly be genuinely concerned in seeking after the interests of Christ if you are not at the same time more interested in the interests of others than you are your own. I don't care what ministry you're involved in. I don't care how much time you spend in ministry. I don't care how many hours a week you sock into it. I don't care what your spiritual giftedness is. I don't care what your talents are. I don't care about any of that. If you are not genuinely seeking the interest of other people ahead of your own, then you are not seeking the interest of Christ. Call it what you want. You can try and sanctify it with all the biblical language you can come up with. But if you're interested in only yourself and not other people, then you're not seeking after the things of Christ. That's the key. I can trust Timothy. Because he's interested in the things of Christ. And because he's interested in the things of Christ, then he'll be more concerned about you than he will about himself. The third way that Timothy evidenced the mind of Christ, not only a spirit of genuine concern and seeking after the things of Christ, but his service in gospel ministry. Look at verse 22. You know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. You know of his proven worth. How did they know that? Because immediately after Paul picked up Timothy in Acts chapter 14, they headed off through the regions of Bithynia and Asia Minor all the way over to the Aegean Sea. And there Paul had the Macedonian vision. They went across the sea, landed at the city of Philippi, and there he led Lydia to the Lord, and then the slave girl, and then the Philippian jailer. And who was with Paul in Philippi when Paul founded the church? Timothy was. They knew Timothy. They had spent time with Timothy. They saw how valuable he was to the Apostle Paul. They saw that he was a faithful man, and they knew his proven worth, and the word means worth that is tested. It speaks of being tested in fire, being tested through an ordeal, being tested through adversity. You ever get the, you ever hear people refer to Timothy as sort of a weak-spined, cowering type of individual? You ever hear people do that? They call him blank Timothy. What's the word they always put in there? Timid Timothy. His timid Timothy. Why do they say that? Because Paul wrote 2 Timothy to him and said, hey, cowboy up. Get going, right? Stiffen up. Don't give in to adversity. Get your teeth and, and stay in there. Be a soldier. Be a warrior. Be like a farmer. Be like an athlete. Keep running. Go all the way to the end. Don't quit on me now. Kind of an encouragement. People look at 2 Timothy and they say he must have been a weak individual. I don't think he was weak at all. Look what Paul says. You know his proven worth. This man had been tested. Timothy is the polar opposite of John Mark. Remember John Mark? Right, little trot across the island of Cyprus, hit the sea, land in Pamphylia, look up at those mountains and say, See, I'm going home. Mama's bed is more comfortable than this. I like the warm food and all of that that you've been serving up. But I'm not in for this adversity. And John Mark bailed and went back to his mom in Jerusalem. Timothy was just the opposite. Timothy never once left Paul's side. All of the adversity, the time spent in the prison in in the city of Philippi, All of the beatings, all of the whippings, all of the shipwrecks and everything. Timothy was right there by Paul. And Paul says, you know of his tested and proven worth. How he served with me in the Gospel like a father with his son. And the father-son analogy not only speaks of the fact that Paul led Timothy to the Lord, but it's more than that. It describes for us that intimate relationship that existed between Paul and Timothy. And it's not that Timothy served Paul. Timothy served Christ with Paul. Like a father serving with his son. As peers, as equals, Paul the elder, Timothy the younger, Paul the, the teacher, Timothy the student, but serving together as co-laborers side by side, hand in hand in the purpose of the gospel. And you look at the life of the apostle Paul and you notice, you know, try that again. You look at the life of the apostle Paul and you know what you notice in Paul. What you see in Paul is this primary priority of the commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was all about preaching and defending the truth for Paul. And every time God gave him a platform, he preached the gospel. He preached Christ. It was all about the gospel for Paul. Paul was not a political revolutionary. He was trying to get Christians elected to office. The Apostle Paul was not a social revolutionary. He was trying to do away with pornography and slavery and gambling and drinking and curb every social evil. He was not trying to make Christians or pagans act like Christians and be more moral. Paul wasn't about any of those things. This one thing I do, Paul says, it's all about the gospel. Preaching the Gospel. That's all Paul wanted to do. That's all Paul ever did. That's what Paul looked for. Every opportunity he opened his mouth, it was to share the truth of the Gospel so that those who God had chosen might come to faith in Jesus Christ and get him with that gain eternal glory. That's all Paul wanted. It was all about the Gospel and Timothy learned that. He served with Paul and Paul could say in Rome, in the book of Philippians, we're equal souls. We have the same soul." The same priorities, the same focus, the same vision, the same intentions. We have served together for the furtherance of the gospel. And Timothy picked all of that up from me, Paul could say. By the time Paul writes this, Timothy is probably in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. He's been with Paul as a constant companion for about 10 years by the time Paul wrote this in Rome. He's his closest friend. Let me just wrap all of this up with two sort of observations and and applications from the whole passage in general. Here it is. First, this spirit of genuine, selfless concern for others ahead of your own is a rare commodity even in the best of Christian circles. It is a rare commodity even in the best of Christian circles. Here is the Apostle Paul. And of all of the people that he knew who were around him, He could say what? I got one guy. I got one man that I can trust to do this. Hanging around the apostle Paul would be what I would consider the best of Christian circles. If you could, if you could move in any Christian circle, that would be the best one to be in. And yet, even around Paul, even in the best of circumstances and the best of circles, it's a rare commodity. Friends, this is, selflessness is not something that comes easy to us, is it? No, even when we purpose to do it, we find ourselves, without even thinking about it, stepping into things and acting in ways that are very self-seeking and self-serving and very self-oriented and doing it all for ourselves. It's a rare commodity, even within the best of Christian circles. I ask you, do you have it? Do, Do people know you as somebody who seeks after the interests of others ahead of their own? Would Paul be able to give this type of description of you or of me? Second, and I'm not trying to discourage you or depress you or anything like that. Second, even though, friends, that it is a rare commodity, it is an essential character quality for effective Christian life and service. It's essential. Paul was looking for a man to send to Philippi. I want you to go there. I want you to be concerned about them. And I want to, I want you to go there and encourage them. What does he look for? What is the one thing he ta- says about Timothy? He's selfless. Do you notice what Paul doesn't say? Paul doesn't say, look, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's a very gifted preacher. Very gifted teacher. Man, that guy can preach up a storm. He doesn't say, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's got the gift of evangelism or he's got the gift of encouragement. He doesn't say, I'm going to send Timothy to you because he's a very naturally gifted individual. A very talented organizer. He doesn't say that. What does he highlight about Timothy? This characteristic of being selfless and being willing to give himself in concern for the interests of other people. That was the thing that stood out about Timothy. If Paul wanted a preacher to go to Philippi, they were a dime a dozen. He could go out onto the streets of Rome and pull in one of these men who were preaching out there out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. He could have sent them off to Philippi. If Paul wanted a businessman, a CEO, an administrator, an organizer, they were a dime a dozen in Rome. If he just wanted an average Christian who had the gift of encouragement, he could have sent them off to Rome. But he doesn't. The one thing that Paul is looking for is what? Selflessness. I want an unselfish man. If I'm going to send somebody on my behalf, he has to be a faithful man and an unselfish man, genuinely concerned for the interests of other people. That was the essential character quality that Paul was looking for. Listen, friends, the churches in our country, and I speak in general now, churches are filled with pastors who are great orators, wonderful gifted communicators, great PowerPoint presenter guys, uh, 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 excellent entertainers, wonderful CEOs, program directors, administrators, wonderful program runners. But look, get, get rid of all of that and just give us Timothy. Do any of those things matter to Paul? None of those things matter to Paul. I'm looking for a man. I want somebody who's unselfish. Down to one. That's Timothy. And I'll send Timothy. Do you think your spiritual gift makes you spanky? you think your good looks and value make you valuable? Full head of hair makes you valuable? Right? you think that your natural abilities and your natural skills make you spanky and valuable in the sight of God? Because you can keep all of that, just give me unselfishness. Just if we could work out our own salvation with fear and trembling to the point where that becomes the priority, give me the mind and the heart of Christ so that I do nothing out of selfishness and empty conceit. Make me like Timothy, regardless of the spiritual gift. Forget the natural talents and ability. Forget the good looks. Forget the physical stamina. Forget the intellect and the knowledge and the wisdom and all of that. Just give us an unselfish man. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we need? Of all of the people hanging around the Apostle Paul. Paul says, I want. I need to send somebody to you. i got one guy. Timothy. You're going to have to wait for him, but when he shows up, it'll be worth the wait. Because he's unselfish. Paul knew it was better to send nobody than to send a faithless man or a selfish man. Better to send nobody than to send somebody selfish. So he says, You're going to have to wait for him, but once he comes, you'll find out that it's worth the wait. Now there is a fourth example that Paul gives us of somebody who modeled the mind of Christ, this selfless attitude. And his name is Epaphroditus. It's mentioned in verses 25-30, through and we're going to look at Epaphroditus next week. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do ask that You would create in us a clean heart. We confess before You that we are selfish people. We are self-seeking. We are self-aggrandizing. We do everything for self. We love ourselves far too much. And Lord, we ask that You would convict us again and create in us a heart that desires the interests of others ahead of our own, that is selfless and not selfish, And God, we repent of that and pray that you would make us like Timothy, genuinely concerned for the interests of others, and that we might value nothing else like we might value having the mind of Christ in us, that we might be conformed to his image. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church.